Well, this morning we are starting a new series called Vintage, and we are looking at some great, remarkable stories of faith and triumph in the Old Testament, Uh, and so I'm encouraged and excited about this. Um, You're going to find over these next weeks as we're in this series, we're not necessarily going to be talking about new stories for those of you that have grown up in church, have been around church. You're going to be very familiar with the stories that we're going to look at uh, in this series, but I have a hope that as we dive into these great stories that God would uh, just renew our minds refresh our minds to these great stories and that we will see a number of things in this series. First, I believe we'll see the character of God on display. And that is so important for us to be reminded about. We'll see the power of God on display and the faithfulness of God on display. And I don't know about you, but I can always use a dose of understanding of the character, power, and faithfulness of God. Uh, And I hope that that will be really encouraging for you. I think we'll also see again and again in these stories that God always has a plan. He is never in a position of panic and that God will always be glorified. And again, I think those are important things for us to remember. I think we'll see and be challenged personally that sometimes we can forget what God has done, especially in times of hardship. Sometimes we can forget who gives and who brings victory, especially when the enemy would seem to be prevailing. And sometimes we can forget why we're really here on this earth and what should be our focus, especially when the pull of the world is great and we feel outnumbered and weak. And so I believe these will be encouraging times for us as we open God's word together. We're going to kick off our series this morning by really looking at what might be one of the most familiar stories in the Old Testament scriptures. It's in 1 Samuel 17 and looking at the account of David and Goliath. And so I want to encourage you to pull up that passage on your phones or iPads, use the Pew Bible, it's page 239. And I want to give you a disclaimer, just a heads up for this series. We are going to be reading a lot of scripture in this series. And so all of the passages will not be put up on the screen during this series because it can be complicated to try to keep where we're at in the verses and what verses are on the screen. And I don't want everybody's attention focused on where the verses are on the screen as opposed to the word of God in front of you. And so want to encourage you for this series, as always, have a copy of God's word with you. If you do not have your own personal copy of the word of God, before you leave today, let me know that and we will get you one. You are also welcome to take a pew Bible with you. If you do not have a copy of God's word, if you need one, a personal copy, you can take a pew Bible with you and bring that back with you each and every Sunday. They will also be in the pews for you that you can access the passages there. But it is important that we have God's word with us so that we can follow along and we can see what God's word says. As you've heard us say from the front before when we're preaching, We are not asking you to just trust what we say is truth. Find out that God's word actually says these things. And we measure that against the word of God, the truth and the authority of scripture. And so very important that we have that with us and want to encourage you to do that. You can also, if you need help downloading the Bible app on your smartphone, before you leave, come see me and I'll show you how to do that. It's very easy to download a Bible app. And so you can have that on your phone as well. So 1 Samuel chapter 17, we're just going to begin by reading verses 1 through 11 as we set the scene for this great story, this true account. And again, I want to remind you, real account. 
True account, real people at a very real point in history that this takes place in 1 Samuel chapter 17. So let's just begin by looking at verses 1 through 11. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle. And they were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Soko and Azekah and Ephesdamon. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley between them. And there came out from a camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head and he was armed with a coat of mail and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron and his shield bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. And so as we stop there, here's what we have as our scene. The battle scene that is shared with us here. You have Saul, King Saul, and the armies of Israel on one side. You have Goliath and the armies on the Philist- of the Philistines on the other side. And there's a valley between them. It's really an interesting thing. If you go and you visit in Israel even today, and you can go to this valley, this area, and you can get a picture and see what this would have looked like. We're not talking about a huge area of land here where there would be huge distances apart, but you have two different areas, two different mountains where there are standing on one side, the other army on the other, and a valley in between them, and a brook that goes right between them. To this day, it's there. And this is the scene that's set for us. Goliath is nine feet, nine inches tall. Most would agree on that. Over a hundred pounds of armor on him that he would be carrying on him as described here. An intimidating figure. And interestingly enough, the passage goes into some pretty great detail describing his physical appearance and his armor. Again, look at verses six and seven. He had bronze armor on his legs, a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam. His spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. His shield bearer went before him. This is an impressive, physically impressive individual that would have been here. An intimidating champion. And what was Goliath doing? He was issuing a challenge to the nation of Israel and to Saul. A very specific challenge. Again, look at the passage, verses 8 to 10, this challenge again. He says, he stood and he shouted to the ranks of Israel, why have you come out to draw up for battle? He says, we're all here. We're here for a battle. So what are we doing? He says, am I not a Philistine and are you not servants of Saul? And he makes something clear. He's like, we're enemies. We're supposed to fight one another. He says, choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we'll be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. The challenge is very specific and very clear that, Paul, uh, that Goliath is making here. Goliath is coming down into this valley 
He's coming down from his army that's on the one side, coming down into the valley, and he's shouting out to the nation of Israel, to the armies of Israel, to King Saul who was there, we're enemies, we're supposed to be fighting a battle, here I am. Bring someone down from your army to represent you, and I will represent my army, and whichever one of us is able to prevail against the other, our whole army then will be their servants. That's the challenge that he's given here. It's quite a challenge. And Goliath was very confident. And didn't he have every reason in his own thinking and in the armies of the Philistines thinking to be confident in himself? He's a pretty impressive warrior. Look again at Saul and the armies of Israel and their response. Verse 11, when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. They were dismayed and they were greatly afraid. Let me just give you some truths this morning about them, okay? Truths about them that we see from the passage. Number one, the armies of the Philistines had more confidence in their champion than the armies of Israel had in their God. It's very clear in this passage. It's very clear. The armies of the Philistines had complete confidence in Goliath. He was their man. He was their champion. He was being sent out. He was taking this initiative and he was representing them and he was calling out to the armies of the living God, to the armies of Israel, to the king that they wanted, that they begged God for, Saul, and said, here I am. Bring me someone to fight and we'll see who wins. The Philistines had complete confidence in their champion, more confidence than the armies of Israel and Saul had in their God. Secondly, the Saul and the armies of Israel were intimidated, fearful, feeling hopeless, and feeling defeated. They were terrified of this. They were afraid. They were dismayed, the passage says, and look at what it says at the end of verse 11. They were greatly afraid. There was zero desire on the part of the king, Saul, or any man in that army to take that challenge. They were terrified, intimidated, fearful, feeling hopeless and defeated. Third, what is true about them? Goliath had zero belief in the God of Israel and pridefully mocked God by his arrogant challenge. If you even look at Goliath's challenge to them, he says, are you not servants of Saul? There's not even a mention here of servants of the living God. There's no mention here of God fighting this battle. There's no mention here that these are the armies of the living God. Goliath had zero belief in the God of Israel, pridefully mocked God by his arrogant challenge. And it would go on and on and on. And the passage is gonna tell us about that. Let's pick up now in verse 12. 12 to 16 now. Now David was the son of an Ephrathite of Bethlehem in Judah named Jesse, who had eight sons. In the days of Saul, the man was already old and advanced in years. The three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to the battle. And the names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, and next to him, Abinadab, and the third, Shammah. David was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward and took his stand morning and evening. Now, in verses 1 through 11, we have our scene set. The battle scene is set for us. Goliath is introduced to us. The challenge is seen and presented. And the current panic state 
of Saul and all of the armies of Israel is seen here. Verses 12 through 16 kind of give us a bit of a caveat now, right? It gives us this description of the battle scene and the state that Saul and the armies of Israel were in. It gives us the state of where Goliath and the armies of the Philistines were at. The challenge has been laid out. And now 12 to 16, it's a little bit of a caveat here because it begins to give us a description of who David is and of David's current role, as well as the role of his three oldest brothers. The passage tells us that, that David uh, was the son of an Ephrathite of Bethlehem in Judah named Jesse. So it tells us who his dad was. If you read earlier on, and I would encourage you to do this, jump back to chapter 16 of 1 Samuel. You'll read about a very important moment that takes place where David is anointed by Saul. The presence of the Spirit of God comes upon David because the kingdom was going to be removed from Saul. We don't have time to get into all the detail about that and that history lesson there, but I encourage you, read chapter 16 and find out what was going on in David's life to this point and what God was doing in David's life. But we're introduced to David, and David's current role is explained a bit. He was too young to be in battle, which it's going to tell us that in a moment in the passage, and yet he was in Saul's service on and off. We read earlier in the book that he would play the harp for Saul as he was needed. He would be in Saul's service. And again, that's in chapter 16. And if you take the time to read chapter 16, you'll also read that Saul really appreciated what David did, but he would come and serve Saul and then he would go back and keep the sheep. He would go back and forth, back and forth to the battle lines, feeding his father's sheep, serving Saul and doing whatever was necessary. And the passage tells us that for 40 days, Goliath came forward and took his stand morning and evening. And that's a pretty significant thing that it reminds us of that because that means for 40 days when this is happening, there was no one accepting or taking this challenge. 40 days. That is not an insignificant amount of time. 40 days. And so you can imagine the fear and trepidation that was experienced on the part of the nation of Israel. But here's what was clear from the passage to this point. David has never been present to this point, it would seem, to hear the challenge from Goliath. So the armies of Israel have. Saul has heard it for 40 days. But it would appear from the passage, David has not yet heard this challenge. And this is where I believe things start to get really good in this passage. Look, pick up with me at verses 17 to 23. Jesse said to David, his son, take for your brothers an ephah of this parched grain and these 10 loaves. Carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers. Also take these 10 cheeses to the commander of their thousand. See if your brothers are well and bring some token from them. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper, took the provisions and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line, shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers." And as he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before, and David heard him. I love those final words, those last four words. And I just love God's word, and I hope that you love God's word, but to me, this is just fantastic, the way that the writer records this and shares this, because it talks about... David is sent by his dad to take some bread and cheese to his brothers who are in the battle. 
And so David leaves the sheep with a a keeper. He makes his way to the battle lines. He gets there. He has the bread and he has the cheese and he hears commotion and what's going on. And so he leaves the bread and the cheese with the keeper of like goods and he makes his way over. He's interested. He's curious what's going on. And as he makes his way over to the lines, I love that the way this verse ends is with these four words. And it's a completely standalone sentence here. After it says, and Goliath, the champion of the Philistines, came out and defied the armies of God. He did what he always did. And it ends with this statement, and David heard him. I love that. That is so great. I love that because it's like, wait a second. There was something different at this moment on this day. Here was what was different. David heard him. David heard him. I don't know why I find that so great. It's like, it's like God was making a transition here. He was making a transition in that phrase. And I want to share with you, I believe this is greater than any drama or movie scene that you've seen in a movie or on the television screen. I think this is fantastic what's about to take place here. Look at verses 24 and 25. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. If we didn't already have the picture of how the nation of Israel and the armies of Israel were viewing Goliath, he comes out and issues this challenge again, and it says, all the men of Israel, all, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. They're terrified, they're afraid, they're fleeing from Goliath. And they're recounting, and they're recounting, and David hears it. Have you seen this guy? Have you seen him? This champion, this Goliath, have you seen this warrior that makes his way out every day, day after day, defying, it says, Israel, they said. He's defying Israel. He's defying the king. The king's going to enrich the man who kills him with great riches. He'll give him his daughter to marry. And he's not going to have to pay taxes. Amen. It's very clear the mindset of the armies of Israel here, isn't it? It's very clear the mindset of Saul here, and it's very clear the mindset of the Philistines and of Goliath. The points that we have on the board, they're there. This is right in the text. Verse 26. Again, I've said this already, but this is where it gets really good. And David said to the men who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine? that he should defy the armies of the living God. And the people answered him in the same way, so shall it be to the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, when he spoke to the men, heard his his eldest brother heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. David said, what have I done now? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way, and the people answered him, Again, as before. See where David's focus lies here. David's focus is exactly where it should be, and it's precisely where the focus and attention of the whole army of Israel and its king, Saul, should have been. And yet, notice 
where David is giving this question, he's, he's, kinda, he's throwing out this challenge, which should have been the focus and the question of all of the armies of Israel and of Saul himself. It should have been the question and focus of his brothers as well. And yet his brother's response to David is, I know why you're here. You're just a selfish little guy. You just want to see the battle. David's like, what? I've just, what, what have I done? Right? I'm here. And he turns from his brother and he asks the same question again to someone else's. I just want to kind of make a caveat here to say, doesn't it make us oftentimes feel better about our own lack of faith or shortcomings when we can try to point out someone else's shortcomings or ridicule someone else and draw that attention off ourselves? We don't have time to spend on that right now, but it's remarkable to me that David's older brother would be ridiculing him for a statement that he makes, which is entirely true. And yet no one else was willing to say it. David, and this is very important here, didn't see a mighty man of war in Goliath. He didn't see an intimidating giant warrior. He saw an enemy of the armies of Israel defying the armies of the living God. His perspective on Goliath was entirely different than the rest of the army of Israel. And I don't want us to miss this. Look again at David's reference to Goliath as opposed to the other soldiers We've already read in verse 24, all the men of Israel, when they saw the man fled from him and they were much afraid. They're terrified out of their minds. And what are they doing? They're talking about it. They're like, have you seen this guy? Massive, nine feet, nine. His armor that he's wearing is like bigger than you are, David. Like, it's, it's like they're just impressed. He's the champion of Gath. He's a mighty warrior. And Saul would even make mention of that. Have you seen this man? But David's, <laughs> David's response is so much different. And also, notice where the attention of the men of Israel is. It says, he has come up to defy who? Israel. Isn't that what Goliath was saying too? I'm defying the armies of Israel. I'm defying Saul. No mention, even on the part of the men of Israel, of the Lord here. No mention of the Lord. No mention of the armies of God. He's defying Israel. He's defying Saul. David said to the men, verse 26, look at it again, who stood by him. What shall be done for the man who kills this incredible, massive, bold champion of the Philistines? No, what does David say? What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine? <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to picture David here. Okay, most believe David was between the ages of 15 to 17 years old when this took place. He's described in scripture to us as, as a guy that wasn't very big, handsome, young. Goliath's response to David in a moment that we'll see when David comes out the battle is like, what is this that you've just put in front of me? David hears Goliath, and I believe it's the first time that David heard Goliath because he's like, what is going on here? And his immediate response is, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine? You know what David's saying here? Who is this enemy of God that he should defy the armies of the living God? See where David's focus is here? 
The response of the men was, do you see this man that's defying Israel, Saul, all of us, our nation? David's response, who is this Philistine, this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Here's what was true about them. The armies of the Philistines had more confidence in their champion than the armies of Israel had in their God. Saul and the armies of Israel were intimidated, fearful, feeling hopeless and defeated. Goliath had zero belief in the God of Israel and pridefully mocked God by his arrogant challenge. And in spite of all that, David had complete confidence in his God and in the Lord's power and authority. Even when no one else did. David had complete confidence in his God and in the Lord's power and his authority. Listen to me for a moment. I believe that when we have a proper view of God, when we have a proper view of God, what seems like insurmountable challenges, hardships, and adversities become unmistakable opportunities to glorify the Lord through the power and strength that he alone can give. David's confidence here is clearly seen. Who is this? Who is this enemy of God that he should defy the armies of the living God? Look at verses 31 to 37. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul and he sent for him. This is what is troubling and remarkable about this. Just the fact that David demonstrated confidence in the Lord and that he couldn't believe, he, he couldn't believe this guy was saying what he was saying. That was enough to make it to the ears of the king because of how different that was from everybody else's perspective. Saul hears about it. So if you're the king and you're terrified yourself of what's going on and your mightiest warriors are terrified because it says all the men of Israel ran away in fear, they were afraid. And then it comes to your ear that there's a guy who came in, the cheese delivery boy came in and he, he has confidence, he has confidence that this Goliath could be defeated. It's significant enough that it reaches the ear of the king, which I don't know what Saul was doing, but he was probably in a panic. He's supposed to be the leader of these armies and he's sitting wherever in his tent thinking, what am I gonna do? And someone comes and says, hey, there's a guy. There's a guy here. And he's not intimidated. He's not afraid and he's referring to this champion Goliath like he's a nobody. And it reaches the ears of Saul. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul and he sent for him. And David said, said to Saul, <laughs> this again, I, I love God's word. David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. <laughs> I love that so much. Are you getting the picture here with David that David had zero panic here? Zero, not a worry in the world here. And some might be like, that's because he was young and foolish. I don't believe that's the case. I believe David had complete confidence in his God. David had complete confidence in the Lord's power and the Lord's authority. David says, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Now, again, 
Saul's the king, and we read earlier in 1 Samuel that Saul was ahead above everybody. Saul was a big guy. Most people think David was like five foot nothing, maybe five foot two. Significantly shorter than me. He was, he was you can imagine. Imagine it. And David comes into the tent, the shepherd boy that played the harp to calm Saul down when he was distraught. And David comes into Saul's tent with no armor, no sword, no nothing. And he says, listen, king, don't let anybody worry about this guy. I'll go and I'll, I'll kill him. Can you imagine such a thing? Again, these are real people, okay? This is a real story. This is a real account. There is absolutely zero reason on the face of the planet Earth that that man, David, should have the confidence he had And he couldn't have it in himself only because of God. This is only because of God that he's able to have this confidence. Not arrogance, confidence. Confidence in his God. He says, let no one's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. You are but a youth. Remember I told you he was too young for battle. That's what Saul's pointing out here. Saul's saying, listen, you, you can't go. David's like, don't worry about it. I'll go kill the guy. And Saul's like, you you can't. You're but a youth. You're too young. You're not a man of war. He's been a man of war from his youth. And, And you know what's interesting to me again here is that when David steps up and says, I'll take care of it, you know what Saul does? It's like Saul's trying to talk him out of it. David's standing up and saying, listen, I will serve the Lord. I will defeat this enemy of the nation of Israel and the God of Israel. I will take out this uncircumcised Philistine. I will get rid of him. Don't worry. Don't let your heart be troubled over it. You know what the king says to David? The king who should be leading the nation, he says to David, he's like, David, I got all these reasons why you can't do that. There's too many reasons. Verse 34, but David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out from his mouth. If he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears in this uncircumcised Philistine. The only way David, the only way David refers to Goliath, the entire story is the Philistine, the Philistine, the uncircumcised Philistine, the uncircumcised Philistine. Who is this? I love that. Like David, David won't even say the champion. He won't say the giant. He won't say Goliath. He's He just refers to him as just another enemy of God. Isn't that fantastic? Why are you not excited about that? (laughs) Your servant has struck down both lions and bears and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them for he has defied the armies of the living God. Don't miss it. Here's where David's confidence lied. Here's where David's assurance lied. Here's where David's focus was. His focus was not on himself. His focus was not on the army. It was not on Saul. It certainly was not on Goliath. It was on the God of Israel. He has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, verse 37, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. (laughs) Thanks, Saul, right? This is... This is one of those things where I don't know what Saul's response was to the whole thing, 
But he just hears David standing before him and David's like, I've killed a lion, I've killed a bear. This guy's defying God, let me at him. And Saul's like, okay, the Lord be with you as you go. All of a sudden, the Lord needs to be with him, right? This is the first time Saul's mentioning the Lord at all. It's the first time the Lord's name is showing up out of the mouth of someone other than David. And he says, the Lord be with you. This is the epitome of confidence, not in self, but in the Lord. It's the epitome of laser focus on the glory of God and the power of God rather than the glory of man and the power of man. And we can learn a lot here. We've talked about what was true of them. Let me talk for a moment about what is true of us. Here's what's true of us oftentimes. One, oftentimes the world has more confidence in their convictions than God's people have in him. If we're honest, oftentimes the world has much more confidence in what they say they believe than we do in what we believe. Oftentimes they live with more conviction even than the people of God do in their cause, in what they feel is important. Number two, the people of God often live in fear with intimidation, feeling hopeless and defeated. This should never be the case. And yet if we're honest, we're probably all guilty, aren't we, of oftentimes living in fear and with intimidation, feeling hopeless and feeling defeated. What's true today, the world mocks God in arrogance today and has zero belief in his power and authority. It's not that much different than then, isn't it? The world mocks God. Mocks God in arrogance, has zero belief in his power and in his authority. And whereas all these things are true, just as they were true then, what equally should be true is that believers should have complete confidence in the Lord and his power and his authority. We should have Complete confidence, even as David did, in the Lord and in his power and in his authority. Let's pick up in verse 38, 38 to 44. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor. And he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. I mean, I get the picture. Have you ever tried something on that was couple sizes too big for you? Have you ever done that? Can you imagine someone here, 6'5", standing on the stage with me, and we exchange pants and shirts, shoes? It would be, it would be comedic, wouldn't it? It would look like a comedy. That's what David's doing here. Saul's like, the Lord be with you, but before you go, let me give you all my armor and my sword and everything. And just, I, I mean, this would be a... Kind of a crazy scene to look at that David's like putting on Saul who is a head above everybody's armor. David's already smaller because he's young. He's described as not being large in countenance. And so he's standing there and Saul's like, the Lord be with you. By the way, come here, come here. And he just starts loading them down, right? With all of his gear. David says to Saul, I cannot go with these. I've not tested them. So David put them off. Verse 40, then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistine. There's a lot of people who like to, you know, just allegorize so many things in the story and they like to say everything represents something. The five smooth stones represented, you know, the, the five things about God and the five smooth stones because Goliath had four brothers and all this. I just think that David picked five stones because he thought if he misses on the first one, he has more. 
It says he chose five smooth stones and put it in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand. He approached the Philistine. The Philistine moved forward and came near to David and his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him for he was but a youth, ruddy, handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Let me just explain to you what's going on here. Saul wants to give David his armor and his sword. And David's like, it's too big. I can't wear this. I can't use it. So David's like, I'll be all right. And he just has a sling and he goes and picks up five smooth stones, put it in his shepherd's pouch and he has a sling in his hand. And he goes down to the battle line. And all of Israel is watching this and the armies of the Philistines are watching this. And Goliath makes his way out and here comes little David coming out. And I think the description that Goliath gives would probably be the accurate description most people would be thinking. Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? Like you're, you're a child, you're coming to me with sticks. You ever see kids when they're younger and they're pretending they have swords and they have sticks from the backyard and they're, they're kind of going at each other? I mean, this is Goliath's perspective of David. You, you, got, you have nothing. You have nothing in your hands. You have no armor. You're not a warrior. You're a little boy. And he says to David, I'm going I'm to kill you today, David. I'm going I'm to kill you right now. Come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Now listen, if this was any other quote-unquote warrior in the armies of Israel, I don't know what they would have done. I mean, they would have, they already were running when they weren't even near Goliath when they saw him, let alone if that champion Goliath is standing within distance of you saying, I'm gonna feed you to the birds of the air and destroy you right now, you little dog. And I want you to think about this scenario because there's so many things that don't make sense about this. The armor didn't fit. The sword was too big. David wasn't tall enough or strong enough, old enough, experienced enough. His brothers didn't believe in him. I would be pretty certain that the other soldiers didn't really have high confidence in him either. Goliath mocked him, ridiculed him, and promised to kill him. This is the pivotal moment of the whole story, I believe here. What we're about to read is the defining moment. It's a moment that would be remembered by Israel, celebrated by the nation of Israel, and would transform their whole outlook here. It's the defining moment that we remember, celebrate, and find encouragement even today in. This defining moment, I want you to look at verses 45 and 47. Everything is built to this point. Goliath is just laid out to David. I'm gonna kill you. I'm gonna feed you to the birds of the air. You're a dog. You're nothing. You're nothing. David says to the Philistine, verse 25, and here, I love this, listen to me, I love this, because earlier on in the text, the writer refers to Goliath as the champion of the Philistines. I love it in this verse, it begins by, David said to the Philistine. (laughs) Isn't that great? I love that, that he just says, he says to the Philistine, no more Goliath, the champion, the intimidator, no, the Philistine. This is what David says. You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head. I'll give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know there's a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. That's what David says. You're not excited enough about that. 
Give God praise. Would you give God praise for what that response was? David says to Goliath and to the armies of Israel in their hearing and to the armies of the Philistine, Goliath, not only am I going to kill you, I'm gonna cut off your head and I'm gonna feed your body. And oh, by the way, the bodies of all of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Why? Not so that they may know David is in Israel. Not so that they may know the armies of Israel are incredible warriors. Not so that they may say Saul's an incredible king. No, so that all the world, all of the earth may know there is the living God in Israel. And God saves, not with sword or with spear, but through his power. That God saves and the battle is the Lord's because he is the one that will give you into our hands. That's what God does. And David had complete assurance, confidence in his God. And when everyone else was absent and everyone else was running, David was secure in his faith in his Lord. And that's what happened. David, in the face of this Philistine giant, says to him, today God will give you into my hands. Let me give us some truths from this story that should impact us today. Number one, we need to know that our God is never intimidated by his enemies. God is never intimidated by his enemies. Two, God will receive the glory that is due to his name. Our God wins. He is victorious. He will be victorious. He will receive the glory that is due to his name. Three, God has been faithful and will continue to be faithful to us. His faithfulness is great. And his mercies are new every morning. Let's pick up verse 48. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron so that the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Shariam as far as Gath and Ekron. And the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines and plundered their camp. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor in his tent." One more truth that should impact us today, church. Nothing is impossible for our God. Nothing is impossible for our God. Do we believe and realize that truth today? Let me share with us some challenges for you and I. Number one, as believers, we should be in proactive pursuit of opportunities to glorify God. As believers in Jesus Christ, we should be proactively pursuing opportunities to glorify God. So often this story is billed for the believer as how to conquer the giants in your life. How to face the Goliaths that you encounter and stand in your way. How to overcome obstacles and difficulties that stand in the way from you doing what you want to do. Let's not lose sight of something here that David willfully chose to proactively engage in this. 
David was in proactive pursuit of opportunities to glorify God. This is not a story about conquering the giants in your life and mustering the courage to conquer those giants that show up in your life that you have no way to get around. David didn't need to engage with Goliath. He chose to engage with Goliath. And why? And for what purpose? It's a story about the power and glory of God. It's the defense and proactive pursuit of the opportunity to glorify God. Do we realize why we are here as children of God? It's to glorify God. It's to make him known to all. Listen to me this morning. Christ died for you and he died for me. He's bought us at the price of his blood. He's adopted us as sons and daughters. He's made us fellow heirs with him of heaven. That if we would confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in our heart, God raised him from the dead, we will be saved, forgiven, made righteous, set free from sin. Our reasonable act of worship and service and response to what God has done is to present ourselves as a living sacrifice. David was in proactive pursuit of the opportunity to glorify God and that's what should be true of us as well. When things are hard, when they prove difficult, when they prove to be uncomfortable, when they require sacrifice, so often we choose something else. We need to choose the glory of God. As parents, sometimes it's hard to take a stand in your parenting when the world and everyone else says to do something different. As kids, students, and teens, it's hard to take a stand in your life when classmates and friends are doing something else and they're pressuring you to do something else. Husbands and wives, it requires sacrifice and some hard confessions sometimes to love each other as God intends us to and to be the picture that he wants us to be of Christ in the church. And to every child of God, it takes courage and a willingness to endure hardship and ridicule to open our mouths to share the gospel with the lost. But isn't it time for the believer in Christ to be proactively pursuing opportunities to glorify God? Secondly, as believers, we should have courage and confidence not in ourselves, but in the Lord. Our courage and confidence is not in our strength or ourselves, but in the Lord. Not in others, but in him. Third, as believers, we should be quick to remember and celebrate the Lord's faithfulness in our lives. I don't want to make light or miss that David's confidence was how he saw God show up in his life before. Don't take lightly that he said that God delivered me out of the mouth of the lion and the paw of the bear. He knew the faithfulness of God and he was encouraged by that. I want to encourage you in two areas real quick before we close moving forward. One, I want to encourage you to start journaling and keeping track of the times God has shown his faithfulness in your life. Answered prayer. This is an area that I I have not been good in. It's an area I realize that we as a family need to do better at. Of journaling and taking notes of those times that God shows up in our lives that it's unmistakable this is God times that he's answered prayer. So I want to encourage you to get a journal, get a journal, make a point of it and start keeping track of those moments. I also want to encourage you to memorize scripture. Jot down these two passages, Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. It says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I want to encourage you to memorize that over the course of these next six weeks. I want to encourage you to memorize Romans 8, 31 and 32. Write that passage down, Romans 8, 31 and 32. What shall we say to these things if God is for us, who can be against us? 
He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Would you memorize those passages over these next weeks? Remembering the faithfulness of God. Number four, as believers, we should willfully and humbly engage in the battle that is raging around us. Don't run from the battle, believer. Don't ignore it. It's happening whether you like it or not. Willfully and humbly engage in it for the glory of God. And watch what God, only God, can do. Watch what only God can do. We're going to close this morning with a song. I'm ask our band to come out and lead us. And as they're coming, I just want to remind you of four realities as we close. Number one, you can't conquer your giants. God does that. You can't control the outcome. God does that. You can't deliver yourself or anyone else. God does that. And you can't, on your own, do the impossible. God does that. The Lord does that. Praise the Lord. It's him and not us. And so therefore, he should receive all the glory.